Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 27. Hear now the word of the Lord. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. And then we look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, where it says, Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Unfortunately, we live in an era and a time of a sexual overkill. We are an over-sexualized society and culture today. Everything is sexualized, from commercials to for little chocolate candies to um, cleaning detergents. Uh, we can't get away from it. Can't get away from it online, to be sure, from your social media apps or when you're driving down the road and glance up at a billboard. Something good, natural, and God-given has become the ultimate thing for a lot of people. And when you combine this overkill with our strong sense of personal independence and autonomy, today it makes it really difficult for a pastor or a church or a parent even to say anything that would sound like a moral constraint against my freedom to do whatever I want to when I want to do it and to whom I want to do it. But the commandments are just that. They are constraints. Constraints from God. But good constraints. Constraints meant to help us live holy lives, um, healthy lives, blessed lives in community with one another and in the presence of a holy God who has indeed, indeed has a right to tell us how to live, right? Our creator God, can we agree on that? Has a right to tell us how to live. And that includes God telling us with whom we may or may not have sexual relations, right? That's not outside of God's realm of telling us what to do, right? Well, C.S. Lewis once remarked something to the effect, and I stress something to the effect. This is not a direct quote, okay, for the legalists out there and those who know C.S. Lewis well. Uh, He remarked something to the effect that if an alien from another planet came to our planet, perhaps on a hot air balloon, um, he would notice our over-sexualized world, the billboards, the commercials, the ads, the videos, the prevalence of pornography in everybody's hands and the phones they use. The alien might think that there's something has run amok with our desires as human beings. 
Something's gone wrong in this creature's desires. Not that this alien race would think that sex or reproduction was was bad or, or dirty in any way, but they might see something wrong with how much we tend to overemphasize a normal, natural human activity. And so Lewis said, think of it this way. Think of it this way. What if you were walking by a friend's locker at school or at work and you notice they have this big pinup poster in their locker? And he drools over this poster. He calls you over to take a look at it and uh, calls others to look at it too. He points out certain characteristics and features of what's on this poster with, with the desire that to have what's on this poster. He has to have what's on this poster. Now imagine... Lewis says, imagine that the poster was a poster of mutton chops. If you don't know what mutton chops are, it kind of looks like goulash, I think, or a mashed up uh, shepherd's pie. It's kind of disgusting looking, but uh, uh, imagine that poster was a poster of mutton chops. You might think that his desires were a little out of whack to have a poster of mutton chops in his locker and the way he reacted about it. Food is natural, food is healthy, it's a great thing to desire and to want, but for this friend, food has gone to the, uh, a whole other level. Food has become the ultimate thing in this person's life, maybe even the place where God should be. So the alien who visits our planet, if he makes it past our F-22 fighter jets, uh, would, certainly, would certainly think there's something a little wrong with the sex appetites of these humans a natural, healthy, God-given desire run amok. Well, last time we looked at how Jesus addressed a very common human emotion of anger and uh, the emotion of anger that can be taken to the extremes to name-calling and murdering somebody, uh, physically murdering somebody or murdering somebody in our hearts. Well, today he focuses on the sex drive taken to the extremes, causing us to break our covenants our commitments, our promises to the people that we said that we loved and would love till the end. So here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus addresses adultery and the seventh commandment that says you shall not commit adultery. And here we have yet another sin that destroys relationships. Very important for the disciples to know and to teach. A sin that destroys relationships, that rips families apart, that causes people to break almost all of the commands of God. The most fundamental human structure that allows people groups and cultures to flourish is the God-designed institution of marriage between one man and one woman. And when someone commits adultery, he or she is tearing asunder, ripping apart what God has joined together. This isn't meant to be a judgmental sermon this morning. But it's the facts that adultery rips families apart. In doing so, one sows the wind and reaps the whirlwind. What is adultery? And it's important to define terms these days because we don't always know what we're talking about. Uh, We have different definitions. What is adultery? Adultery is having sex with someone who is not your spouse. Having sex with somebody who is not your spouse. So yes, single people can commit adultery as well. Adultery, having sex with somebody who is not your husband or wife. God has designed and limited, because God can do this, has limited sex between one man and one woman in a marriage covenant committed relationship. 
This is healthy. This is best for you living in community with one another, and it's best for living in the presence of a holy God. So the catechism, it speaks of the importance of remaining chaste in our relationships and avoiding this thing called unchastity. Do we even know what those words mean? Chaste and unchastity? And some scripture passages will use the term sexually immoral or sexual immorality. Maybe there was a day when we had a common agreement about what chaste and unchaste meant or what being sexually immoral meant. But it is not this day. It is not this day. Don't let uh, the evening TV shows and online videos teach your kids about sexual ethics. Uh, don't allow the movies to be the only sexual education your children ever, ever receive or the only input regarding what marriage is supposed to be as God designed marriage because they're not going to get it there. Christians do not abide by the standards of this world or that of the culture or the country or nation in which they live. Just because something is legal doesn't mean it's morally right or good or healthy. Neither the Supreme Court nor our legislators can define marriage for the Christian church. Neither do your friends, as nice and as loving as I'm sure they are. Only the creator God gets to define marriage. He created us. And he has told us his will for our lives and how best to live in his presence. So if we're talking about adultery as a violation of God's design for marriage, then we must talk about marriage as God designed it, as God intended it to be too. But first, regarding that word unchastity, unchastity. It's important to note how the Synod of the Christian Reformed Church has recently uh, defined that word. Why is that important? Because our agreed-upon confessions talk about it, especially in Heidelberg Catechism Question and Answer 108 that we read earlier. It's in your bulletins there. And also because it's becoming more and more difficult to agree on what constitutes sexual immorality these days. In question 108, let's review, it asks, what is God's will for us in the seventh commandment that says you shall not commit adultery? And the answer says that God condemns all unchastity, that we should therefore thoroughly detest it, and married or single live decent and chaste lives. Now, this is what Synod 2022 recently said about this specific question and answer, specifically about that word unchastity. And I I do quote here directly, that synod affirmed that unchastity in Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer 108, encompasses or includes adultery, premarital sex, extramarital sex, polyamory, pornography, and homosexual sex, all of which violate the seventh commandment. In so doing, Synod declares this affirmation and interpretation of a confession. In other words, it's an official interpretation of this confession and that word unchastity and what it means. Now, that doesn't really change the church's previous positions or definitions. It does make it clear and direct where we stand as a church and what we believe about these things. And although a clear line has been drawn regarding behavior, it's also important to note what this does not say and what Synod did not say this last year. It does not say that a person who struggles with their identity or their gender or with other forms of sexual brokenness are inherently sinful any more than the rest of us are 
or condemned because they struggle in these ways. We are still called to come alongside of people who struggle in these ways. To support them, to listen, to minister to, to comfort, to guide, to love them and welcome into the church. That has certainly been our position all along as well. We haven't always done very good at this. Welcoming and loving and supporting people who struggle with sexual sins. We need to do better at that too. But we do not need to be affirming of certain lifestyle or behavior choices in order to be loving. But Jesus takes this commandment. You shall not commit adultery. And he takes it to a deeper level like he does with the other commandments, right? That's what he's doing here in the Sermon on the Mount. It's not good enough just to avoid physical adultery, whatever type of sex outside of marriage you're talking about. Adultery of the heart is still adultery. That's what Jesus is getting at here. What's going on inside you? What's going on in your heart and your head? Adultery of the heart is still adultery. And just like with anger in the heart, it works its way out. It expresses itself through words and actions and behaviors. The same is true of what's going on, the adultery in our heart and our mind what we call lust. So in keeping an eye on our spiritual condition, we also pay close attention to those things which incite such things as lust or unchastity within us. Actions, looks, talk, thoughts, or desires. The Catechism talks about. Do you feed the monster within? Are you encouraging and purposefully placing yourself in places, going to websites you shouldn't go to, watching certain videos on your phone that you shouldn't be watching, listening to certain types of music, having certain conversations with people that just feed lust, encourage it? Why do you do that? Jesus seems to believe that, yes, we do have some control over these things. Self-control is not only possible, it's demanded here. We have choices in the places that we go, the things that we do, the things that we see, the things that we place before our eyes. We can choose to walk away. We can choose to do something else. We can choose to change our thinking about something. Martin Luther once wrote that you cannot stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can certainly stop it from building a nest in your hair. Right? In other words, you can't prevent a thought from crossing your mind every once in a while, but you can stop dwelling on it. You can stop and keep yourself from meditating on it, giving into and submitting yourself to every thought and desire uh, that's on your emotional radar as part of popular psychology today, but it's nowhere near, it's nowhere near um, that fruit of the Spirit called self-control and our call to live sexually decent and chaste lives. And that's why Jesus talks about gouging your right eye to eye out if it's causing you to sin, or, or cutting off your hand if it's causing you to sin. He's not saying that you actually go out and do these things. I don't want to have any hospital visits this week for some of you. Uh, this is called hyperbole. Jesus is using a very common way of teaching of his day, of rabbis, to make an appointed exaggeration in order to make a point. But do take drastic measures, and I think that's the point Jesus is making here. Do take drastic measures to deal with your lust and prevent adultery. Do you need to go back to the old-fashioned flip phone? Cut off the internet at your home? Install software protections? Do you need to get into some um, accountability relationships with someone else that will check in on you and ask you about your struggles and what's going on? 
Um, Do you need to see a counselor regarding your pornography addiction? Synod and the Human Sexuality Report that Synod addressed last summer, and I read the whole thing, a big portion of that Human Sexuality Report was about the problem of pornography, not in the world out there, but here in the church. Pornography is such a huge issue in the church, church leaders on down. More of an issue than any same-sex relationships that are going on in our churches. It's the issue of pornography. Do you need to see a counselor about that? Deal with it. Take drastic action. Don't just let it go. Don't just let it slide. It'll get better with time. No, it won't. What drastic measure will you take to get away from lust to prevent adultery of the heart or physically? The commandment, you shall not commit adultery, is there to protect that sacred institution created by God for human flourishing called marriage. Biblical marriage is a foundational human institution created by God between one man and one woman. And we see it in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, where God said, or where it says, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And he created the men and women different and able to bless each other in unique ways. And it's a beautiful institution. Men and women were designed to leave mother and father and cleave to husband and wife, to become one flesh. You see, monogamy and exclusivity in marriage are built into the framework of creation according to God's word for the formation and the blessing of family. God's way of marriage isn't just of any individuals, of any gender who happen to get together and love each other according to their own definition of love. That's not how the Bible defines marriage and what marriage is. The words male and female in Genesis 1 cannot be reinterpreted in all sorts of different ways as some people will tell you. Don't be fooled if they do. The union of men and women in marriage was designed by God from the beginning. Adultery means joining yourself with someone outside of that covenant, committed relationship of husband and wife. Adultery breaks a sacred trust. Adultery breaks intimacy. Adultery breaks the covenant promise we make to the one we said we would have and hold to the end, till death do us part. So without the male-female relationship, humanity would not be able to fulfill God's mandate in Genesis 1, to fill the earth and subdue it. Yes, yes, I get it. Sex is more for than just procreation and having children. But it's certainly not less than that in purpose. It's not less than that. So let's read the words of Malachi 2, where it says, The Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. So certainly, godly offspring is a part, a big part of the reason, what what purpose for sex uh, that God has given us that gift. We see in these words of marriage as a covenant, That commitment, promises, or vows are made to each other. Witnesses are present in community. The promise of faithfulness is made in a verbal oath. And of course, in a broken and fallen world, there are many reasons why marriages don't last, don't stick together, and why some couples can't have children too. Marriage, though, originally is designed to be permanent 
and oriented toward raising godly children and forming godly families. And I believe yeah, Jesus is getting back to that, or at least getting back to that when he's talking to his disciples in light of what the Pharisees and the scribes were teaching. The Bible upholds the good created order of marriage for the purpose of raising a godly family. And Jesus himself appeals to the creation account in Matthew chapter 19, where he says, Jesus says, haven't you read that the cre- at the beginning the creator made, male, made you male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So he's quoting from Genesis 1. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. That's Matthew 19, verses 4 to 6. Jesus is referring back to that creational norm, the original creation. Adultery has to do with marriage, and the commandment has to do with protecting marriage, the marriage covenant, and the family. Purity and chastity the sacredness of marriage and sexual relations within a marriage only. This is God's plan and design for life to be lived well under God and in community with other people. It's God's design for his gift of sex and his gift of marriage relationship. And so as it says in Malachi 5, be on your guard. Do not be unfaithful to your spouse. Do not be unfaithful to your current spouse. Or if you're single, do not be unfaithful to the spouse you may have in the future. We are not focusing on it here today, but Jesus does go on. I'll quickly mention the problem of divorce in his day. Again, we're continuing on with that talk about keeping vows and keeping promises. And in his day, men would often give a divorce certificate to a woman for any excuse that the man wanted to give, divorcing for any reason. In chapter 19 of Matthew, Jesus says, Uh, This was allowed due to the hardness of your hearts. Moses allowed this due to the hardness of your hearts. But it was not this way from the beginning, Jesus said. Again, emphasizing the permanence of marriage, the importance of it. And when he talks about oaths, then he talks about oaths and the importance of having integrity and keeping your word and keeping your promises. Again, we're talking about keeping covenants all the way through here. The need for swearing oaths should be superfluous to the follower of Jesus who naturally should keep his word and tell the truth. There should be no need to be swearing oaths on all sorts of things or bloodletting or whatever to say, I'm really telling the truth now. Normally I'm a liar, but right now I'm telling the truth because I'm swearing it, making a vow. No. For a Christian, for a follower of Jesus, your yes should be yes and your no should be no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. So keep your word, keep your promises, keep your covenants. Well, I think Jesus has made it clear this morning in today's reading that we've all probably have broken this commandment, physically or in the heart. When we take the commandments of God uh, deeper, we, we get cut to the heart by the Holy Spirit and maybe the Holy Spirit's work conviction in your life today too already. Thanks be to God, though, that Jesus kept the law perfectly. For us. There is grace and there is forgiveness for the one who commits adultery in the heart or otherwise. And the church must announce this from the mountaintops too in our sex-crazed and broken culture. Jesus went to the cross for your sexual sins too. And I hope you know that and hear that this morning. Jesus understands sexual temptation. Hebrews chapter 2, it says, Jesus was made like us in every way, fully human. 
And it says, because he, Jesus himself, suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He's able to help us. So accept the grace of God today. I pray that you would receive the forgiveness in Christ. Praise be to God that we can start over, begin again. We can start afresh because of the grace and the forgiveness of our risen Lord, Jesus Christ. Jesus continues to change hearts and minds and heal and purify and restore. And I pray that it would be so for all of us. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, in a world where the truth is so distorted and the beauty of Christian marriage and of your creation and your design for sexual relationships so exploited and warped, our only cry is, come, Lord Jesus. Change our loves, change our desires. Change us. Heal us. Forgive us for wandering eyes for wandering from your holy standards regarding sexual purity and activity, and for our thoughts and desires, Lord, that we've spent too much time feeding the wrong things. Grant us a renewed sense of holiness today, purity and righteousness as we worship you. Thank you for your grace, your forgiveness, and for your infinite love that meets us right where we are. For it is in the precious precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.